This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. Life Saving Systems Corporation, we do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated hoist and winch provider. And Hilo Vodka, simply better vodka. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help you with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They're ready to bring your agency up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is amazing! With certified and flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I'm happy to say that I get to be one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with the PPE inspection course and the highly specific Lazard, which is used in helicopter cliff and mountain rescues. SR3 goes above and beyond the helicopter world too. They also provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com that's sr3rescueconcepts.com and follow them on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue that's sr3 underscore rescue we're also brought to you by Life Saving System Corporation they manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear from my favorite harness as a rescueman the Triton to the rescue baskets and litters, and of course, the most popular hoist hook in helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, welds, sews, and machines these products into existence every day and then sends them on their way to us. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com. That's lifesavingsystems.com. And follow them on Instagram at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. We're also brought to you by Breeze Eastern. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those who get rescued has not. Contact Breeze Eastern today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. That's breeze-eastern.com. And we are brought to you by Hilo Vodka. Hilo Vodka is a premium craft vodka made from the highest quality ingredients and six times distilled. Hilo Vodka was made to be crisp, refreshing, and unintrusive. It's exactly how vodka should be made, clean enough to drink neat and worthy to be mixed with your favorite cocktails. They make a crisp, refreshing vodka that is carefully carbon filtered for a smooth sip and no bite. Hilo Vodka is 100% American made. It is proudly veteran-owned by a former search and rescue pilot. Simply Better Vodka. Order yours today by visiting shophelovodka.com. That's shophelovodka.com. FedEx delivery is available in most states. Use the promo code CAPITALS, R-E-S-Q, 
and you get 10% off your order. Plus, if you buy three bottles or more, it's free shipping. Please remember to drink responsibly, and FAA Part 91 says eight hours, bottle the throttle. My next guest is another one of my best friends. The dude is awesome. He was there when I was going through my paramedic. He's one that motivated me to get my paramedic. Him and I have worked around the world together. So I'm totally pumped that he was able to come on and tell some of his stories from his, the beginning of his career until now. So welcome, my friend, Mr. Lenny Cunningham. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is the Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Real Rescue Podcast. Today I have with me one of my mentors, one of my best friends, Mr. Lenny Cunningham. What's up, dude? It's great to be here, buddy. Dude, I'm psyched you're here. So, uh, dude, we met a long time ago. A Actually, long time it's, ago. it has been. It's been, uh, shoot, it's been well over 10 years now that you and I have worked together in all different parts of the world and all over the U.S. All over, dude. <laughs> it's been fantastic. It's been awesome. Uh, so, for everybody else out there, do me a favor and give me your little background history and, and tell everybody who you are. Uh, Lenny Cunningham. Been a paramedic firefighter my entire career. Um, as a paramedic, got into air ambulance and search and rescue, and then uh, ran into you guys. Yep. And uh, as a critical care medic, uh, plugged a hole for y'all that needed the that type of care in the search and rescue environment. And so we started bridging that gap. That's what I've been doing and working with you ever since. I know. That's awesome. All right. So. Let me let me start a little bit like firefighter. Like you, how long were you a firefighter? I was a firefighter eight ten years uh, between full time in the city and volunteering in my local place. Also, nice. which was busy. Now, uh, and if I remember correctly, in our stories, you uh, you went paramedic after you were a firefighter for a little while. Yeah, yeah. so I got got my basic and fireman pretty much the same time, and then. Um, Decided to get my paramedic a couple years later, and I worked part-time for our local ambulance companies. Where I came up in EMS, uh, fire and EMS is not together. Got it. It's separate. Right on. So one of the stories I remember you telling me was showing up to a house, and they were like, hey, we got a possible shooting and and things in the attic. And Oh, man, it's a long, great long story. <laughs> Make it a it's, short one. Just to, uh... just to kind of break. This is, this is the lady that I was introduced to, so... <laughs> It's one of those calls where you're coming back from like being out of town for a while, and the dispatcher's like, "Hey, take your next exit." And you're immediately like, "Oh man, this is intriguing," you know. <laughs> and uh, the call starts coming in on the notes, and it's like robbery in progress. You're like, "Oh, man, this shots fired." Hey, it's kind of interesting, and it's getting better. Oh, I'll take this exit, sure. And then um, so we're staged for a little while, and they finally clear us to go in, and we go around this block, and uh, the house is. There's a, it's actually a house. It's down this kind of shell road and to set it up. I mean, there's sheriff's deputies everywhere, and you, like, we can't even get down to the house because it's they got the road taken with all of their vehicles down there. So my partner and I we get everything out. Still don't know really what we're getting into, <laughs> like what type of injuries or anything. Just the description of the call. So um, I, 
we got the stretcher out and like to set it up, like we couldn't even roll it down the shelves. That's how big the shelves were. So we basically carry our stretcher with all our stuff down three houses, three or four houses down. And we get in the driveway, one cop's on his phone, hey man, what's going on? He's like, oh, they're around back. Okay. And so uh, it's, a, it's a small house and it's off the ground, Louisiana. It's just on the little one foot blocks. And um, it's around the corner. There's this table broken outside this back window, and it's broken. And there's a cop standing at the doorway going in at these stairs. And um, I look at him, and like, I said, same thing, what's going on? He's like, oh, just come inside. So I kind of step into the house, and as I'm getting in there to my right, there's a lady and another officer sitting at this table, and I'm just picking up on what she's saying. And I realize there's some damage in the living room, like the TV's turned over like, and stuff. <laughs> And I hear her at the same time, and she's just like, we're just, we're just so tired of it. It's all the time. I mean, it's just, we, we've told them it's ridiculous. We're just absolutely fed up. I mean, I, I just, I don't know what to tell you anymore. <laughs> and about that time, I hear commotion down my left, down the hallway to my left, where there's an officer looking down that way, too. And as the commotion gets louder, like, this guy's banging on the wall. He's like, I told you, mother. Next time this happened, I was calling the cops. And he's banging on the wall. And he reaches up, he grabs the attic entrance, he pulls the attic down, and he's yelling in the, the space, the attic, he slams that closed. And I'm like, just totally now, what's going on? And to summarize it up, what had happened is these two, whatever they were smoking, put them on the save wavelength, okay, which is the best part of this whole story. But they come home. And I shit you not, the invisible squirrels and Mexicans have locked them out of their house and are robbing them. Okay. And so as they're trying to break into their own home, the squirrels start firing shots at them. This is how the notes in the 911 end up robbery in progress with shots fired in the cat. Oh my God. So I, I don't even remember how we convinced them to get in the truck, but we took them to the hospital. And I've told that story over and over ever since. And it never gets old, dude. I love it. I love it. It's it, too. So the house is off the ground, right? And the steps are like those poured, formed concrete steps. And it's there's no skirting, so you can look under the house. But the steps are by the door, and the dude comes out, and he's pissed off still, and yeah. he starts yelling under the house at whatever's invisible. And he he's trying to move the stairs instead of like just. Yelling under the house. He's trying to move these giant. Oh, it was, it was great, man. Uh, and that was my introduction to you. Uh, I don't remember that being the introduction. But. Well, as far as stories go, I remember that one. That, that one stood out to me more than anything. It was, it was so freaking funny. Just the, the, she, was, she was fed up. He was done. And the mere fact that they were completely fed up with something that wasn't even going on was the best part. Oh... Ah, it's so funny. Jeez. <laughs> All right, so now, like, when you and I came together, so my first question is, you didn't fly, there was no air ambulance or anything prior to coming to work with us down in the Gulf, right? No, it was. I started um, flying with a Canadian ambulance. Oh, that's right. That's right. You and Troy. And... Some of their fi fixed-wing yep. stuff. And then uh, they actually had us, were contracted to a search and rescue program. And That's right. That's right. Cougar? Cougar. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And so I ended up out there initially. Yeah. And then not long after, um, heard about P1 and they made an offer at the time. Couldn't pass up. So So now, I, 
I know this is going to sound kind of funny seeing that you're a firefighter and then on the ambulance and then Cougar and then we met down with P1 and ERA. But what was your first case that you remember that was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is this is a little different than normal? In what, SAR? Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd already flown offshore a few times with Acadian just doing regular medevac. But um, was there hoist with... Uh, Cougar? Cougar, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so you were hoist training and Yeah, we were training and stuff. Um, the way that program was in and out, uh, it was it was kind of beginning, so it was slow. We didn't have many cases at all in the initially. Um, but uh my first SAR case was I'm trying to remember. I mean the first one that stands out, we were just kind of talking about it earlier, is yeah. when you and I did the pet bag hoist there in Galveston. <laughs> And, uh, we can go right to that one too if you want. I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> dude, it was great because to try and describe platforms offshore for the listeners is there, there's no rhyme or reason to any of their construction. I mean, nothing is the same. Some are 200 feet off the water by the time you get to the helipad. Yeah. Some of them aren't. At living quarters are stacked underneath the helipad or they're not. Like You never know. And... Um, the this one we went to had all of like the living quarters and stations were stacked on top of each other with the helipad on top and um we ended up putting this guy in the pet bag two days after a major leg day <laughs> and then we decided <laughs> to crush so for our major leg day we uh killed it on back squats and leg press leg curls leg extensions lunges with a little bit of ab work in there as well and again because we're at a base that is just open for us, a yes. new location. So it's been super slow. We're bored out of our minds and we decide we'll just to just kill it. Crushed legs today. And of course, within 48 hours, oh. we're climbing eight, nine sets of stairs. I, th- I think we counted about 150 steps <laughs> as we're going down. And we're like, oh God, this is not going to be coming go. back up. There's really no place to extract this guy from down here. So he's going back to the roof. <laughs> oh. That was awesome. Oh, <laughs> you and I were laughing all the way down. I, just, I, remember, cr- I remember crying all the way down. <laughs> so it when, so when we would go down, we would bring uh, we would bring a full ALS bag, the BLS bag most of the time, and then a monitor. So most of the time you grab the ALS bag, sometimes the monitor. It depends, I guess, who I was working with. But I would grab the ALS bag and the monitor. Right. And we'd go back and forth. And I remember putting it on my back and be like, oh, God. This is not gonna. This is not gonna be fun. No, no, no. <laughs> oh. And it was hot too. God, it was midsummer. <laughs> Dang, he was he was okay. And then from there, it was it was pretty nonchalant. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we had a couple other cases down there. Um, one of them specifically, I remember really well was the guy that got hit in the face with the grate, and we got hoisted in to. Uh, it was a smaller platform. Like, we couldn't land on it. So we got hoisted to the helipad. Yeah. Went down. And, and I remember walking in the door with you. And I, I'm looking. I'm taking a, a view of the scene. Like, the whole... You walk into, like, the galley area. And everybody's just kind of nonchalantly just kind of looking around. And then they look at us. And, and I'm like, well, where's our guy? I'm expecting to see somebody on a table. Like, nope. This dude is sitting down at the table, leaning over his own hands, and blood's just dripping down on the table. And then you were like, oh, I, I got this. 
So uh, to explain his injury, um, there's you know multiple levels to some of these platforms, but they were uh, he was down one level, and somebody above him went to move a piece of grating. And like pulled out a thing and it flipped through the holding and fell and hit him right in the face. So you're talking like a probably two by two galvanized piece of metal. Yeah. And it crushed his face. I mean, oh, yeah. his sinuses, he ended up having like sub Q air yeah. underneath in his, in his face and stuff. Um, we were pretty lucky we didn't have to actually manage his airway. Yeah, no, we got really lucky. Because it hit actually like really more from the basically the, the top of the mouth up is mm -hmm. what really got damaged. And so nose i think it broke an orbital or uh, i'm surprised they didn't have like right. floor fractures and stuff yeah he might very well have he, we never he, did get he was hurting he was and, definitely hurting and i remember he being looking at me like what's up <laughs> and he's like uh just i'm, I, I'm I in pain mean, bro yeah yeah <laughs> you know and, what yeah. we're gonna handle that yeah and uh, the cool part about that, well, actually, there's a couple of things that, that really, again, stand out in my mind with that because I was still basic at the time. And I was learning all of my medic stuff from watching you and Lane and Eben and, you know, Clarence and all the guys that I was working with. So it was for me, it was very impressive to watch. But I remember getting the guy laid down. You know, we took C-spine and collared and backboard and the whole nine yards and we get him down while he's still bleeding, like on the bridge of his nose. And all of a sudden it, they like the eye, he had to close his eye because it's starting to pool up with blood. And we're like, all right, we got it. We're, we're patting stuff, but we still got to hoist him. And off the top of my head, because Bryce had a video camera on. Yeah, we got all of them. And it was you like, yeah. I, so I remember him being like all excited about being hoisted, even though he was all banged up and <laughs> yeah. He was doped up by that point. Too. It totally was. <laughs> <laughs> Anything was exciting. Couldn't care less. Yeah, we ended up blocking them up, but it was a pretty, like, overall, it was a benign hoist, but it was very, very, it stands out in my mind very much. So. It's one of those cool cases where it's like, oh, okay, we can do everything, you know, like, yeah. okay, we need a spinal wing. Yeah. And, and there was no medic on board of this yeah, in no particular rig, so nobody knew what to do as far as the guys on the rig at that point in time. Yeah, it's like, typically basic first aid, I'm not sure. Yeah. So they were looking at this guy like, oh, uh, <laughs> Man, yeah, that was fun. Any others you remember off the top of your head? And, I mean, I've had some good cases out there, especially the ones with where, like, the entire purpose of the program was utilized, like, full-on IFR, hour-and-a-half flight offshore. Um, I don't remember who I was with specifically, but we went offshore one night uh, to this drilling ship, and this uh, guy was working on the drilling stuff, and a hydraulic hose busted, and it was still under pressure, and it like started whipping and I mean it it beat this guy into a corner like oh, several God. times dude he had a ruptured spleen like as soon as, it was Lavo actually Lavo and I walked in and Brian Lobenstein uh, I think he's at episode 3 go listen to that guy woo and uh, it's it's kind of surreal sometimes because you walk into some of these ships and I mean they look like full on ERs I yeah. mean it's hospital like grade setup. there's I mean they yeah. could handle multiple patients they really don't have the staff for it but as far as yeah. the facility goes like it looks like in ER, and this guy's laying on that cold gurney, uncovered in obvious like shock and internal bleeding. And I was like, "Fellas, we got to go." And yeah. like, uh, but um, just looking back, like I we I know we made a difference in that guy's care yeah. by just that program being our aircraft being capable, not having fuel stops, you know, um, being fast, and the fact we can provide ALS care. Uh, it'd been cool if we more we could have done with maybe even giving blood, you know. But, uh, 
if we'd have had it. But um, that was a good case. What else have we done out there? Dude, I loved all the cases out there. We had so much fun. It's some fun ones. Uh, yeah. Kurt and I had one uh, guy get crushed by some drill pipe. That obvious, like oh. not a suspected. Like you I know walked what? in and I looked at this guy. Going, I remember coming in. I was upset. Hit you, you guys. So I came in with that, and you guys were telling me that story. And uh, Kurt's reaction. They, Good. They had brought this guy in and just put him on the gurney, and uh, like obvious, his pelvis was crushed. Like yeah. not just oh, he might have a broken belt. No, ouch. Right, <laughs> and they give him like five of morphine. So poor dude's crying. We end up end up scoop stretching him off their stretcher and get his pelvis really secure and uh, some pain controlled. And um, ended up hitting him with like hundred of fentanyl off the bat. Right. Yeah. And uh, I remember because I, I asked him I was like, "Man, you have some pain?" He's like, "Yes." Yeah. Like, we we landed on this one and we were craning him up with the personnel basket and. Uh, we got him situated and I gave him, got everything set right, you know, and Kurt's in there and, uh, so what's the pain, man? You know, just ask. He's like, oh, it's, it's a 10, you know, so <laughs> I give it to him and I, man, I watched his like eyes roll, kind of roll back and I'm like, whew, it might've been, man, I didn't completely bolus him, but still, it hit him pretty quick, right? And, uh, I was like, hey, I watch his respiratory race a little bit. I was like, dude, you know, just... Is he gonna go down the hill right now? Like, no, and he, and he kind of started to come back and stabilize a little bit. I'm like, all right, cool, man. And I, I got his attention back. I'm like, hey, what's the pain? He's like, the pain? It's wonderful. <laughs> I looked at Kurt. And I'm like, bro, I've never got wonderful on the pain scale. <laughs> uh, okay, we're ready to move. We're ready to go. We can, we can load him up. <laughs> He's good, man. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's actually something else you brought up there that, that you and I had done quite often, and that's personnel baskets. So I had never really done that. You know, I was up in Alaska and out in Humboldt um, with my trips out there. We didn't, the personnel basket was very new to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that was interesting as we're bringing our patients and you're getting them on this billy pew, the basket or netting or, you know, it's... It's called a billy pew, but um, and going from like a lower deck, and now you're riding the crane up over the ocean to the flight deck, and the helicopters shut off, and you know there's all this stuff that's going on. You're like, wow, this is this is a trip. It was it's pretty cool to me. And it's then definitely we, a austere environment to ride yeah, Karen. Yeah, because yeah. if something happens like while you're in the billy pew, there's not a lot you're going to be able to do until you get back to the ground or get back to the platform or whatever. Right. So. And we always thought about that going in. It was like, okay, we're going to do everything we can right here. And then we'll just, as soon as we get there, if something happens, we'll move on. So, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, other than that, it's just, like I said, I mean, it, was, it was always just decent cases, man. Rarely we didn't have, like... It was, it's, it's a big relief to not be picking up the, oh, my belly hurts or I stub my toe yeah. type no. stuff, man. You know, like the, there's usually a medical director involved before we're called. Yep. So, you know, like they might be, usually these patients, they require medical attention yeah. all the time. And what's even crazier is how busy it can get. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I know during the height of us, when we were working in the Gulf there, I mean, at any given time offshore, there's like 15,000, 20,000 people. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. On platforms. Yeah. Just in the Gulf of Mexico. And so, and and we it's, were, it's a, we it's were a number rolling. of people don't realize like, yeah. how much operation is going on. Yeah. There. 
yeah we were we were rolling quite a bit like a lot and uh gosh i remember flying sometimes two or three times a day mm -hmm. you know and then you'd have your lull i don't want like it wasn't every day but right. you know, all of a sudden you get three cases a day and you're like wow okay. and it's not like this is just like oh let's go down the road 10 minutes and turn around and come back to the hospital no this is two hours out full refuel bag of gas and a two-hour ride back mm -hmm. there's four hours on the day and you're doing that two and three times yeah so, exhausted exhausted yeah just totally smoked or getting launched right off the hospital like pad Jimmy like, John's delivered a yeah, pad so totally. we can get it and eat thank you Labo <laughs> <laughs> hey we're landing at such and such okay oh we would uh We'd have launched it out at 2 o'clock in the morning. You end up landing in Galveston. Hey, uh, let's see if the Waffle House or IOP is open. Let's go get the food. <laughs> oh, man. It was awesome. So, all right. So now after you left there, this is where you and I kind of parted ways because uh, you left for another air ambulance company. Uh, and I went on to uh, another venture as well before we met up again. Yeah. So uh, started working part-time with uh, AirEvac life team um they came and put some helicopters in my hometown and i started out part-time there while I was still a p1 and went full-time and uh worked there for three years or so i think so sure um, you would know better than i would we stayed <laughs> yeah thanks for checking in yeah we um uh, we stayed fairly busy we did a lot of i felt good to get back into the critical care stuff what i'd yeah. been doing on the truck before you know and um, transporting just a lot of those patients, you know, vents, IV pumps, you know, cardiac issues, and all of those things. So that was nice to get back into. Um, we're seeing flights. We're uh, in our area where we were, some competition, so it was hit and miss as far as how many we did. But the cool thing about AirVac was if you had a state license as a medic, you could go work on any helicopter oh, nice. in, in that state. Wow. And Airbag's got like 130 some aircraft. I mean, they're huge. 130 aircraft yeah, in across, the state of Louisiana. No, 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 across oh. the nation. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. So like, I can go work in Texas. I can go work in Mississippi, Arkansas, wow. Tennessee. Oh, that's I great. Get to work around, and um, it was uh, it's cool when you know you know fly different areas, yeah. do things like that. Um, uh, as far as cases go. Had some good ones in and out of there, you know. Go ahead. Uh, man, we had, I don't know what, this one just came to me. Uh, we had a, sh a gunshot one time. This dude had kidnapped this lady and brought her up north of us. And um, somehow I got her in a boat and, like, had been holding her captive in the woods along the Mississippi River somewhere. Well, for whatever reason, I'm, how this transpired, but she ends up escaping from this guy. And she runs into a yard, which happens to be the sheriff's house. But he's not home, his wife's home. So she shows up, she's frantic. You know, all the phone calls start, hey, this strange woman's outside my house. He sends the neighbor over to, to help take care of things. Well, the kidnapper shows up in his, figures it out, whatever, shows up in his boat. And the, the neighbor that came over to help had I guess he had brought his rifle or he got one somewhere, but um, the uh, the bad guy ends up popping a shot off, and this dude fires one round back. And when I tell you, it grazes this dude's forehead and just makes the avulsion of a bullet from the front of his 
forehead to like the back of his skull and it never entered like just kind of ricocheted off his head yeah. just took all the scalp what? with it like I totally blew my mind that it just it basically ricocheted off the top of his head wow um, that was uh, interesting what else what'd you do to that it would like how'd you we uh, we actually you, first up, of all did you guys land yeah we, we landed just, okay um, because yeah, you didn't have a hoist on that, so no, no, it's a small so it was strictly air ambulance. Yeah, so you found a spot to land. Ambulance brought to you. You landed right on no, scene. No, we were able to land right on scene Sick. on along the water. Wow. Um, I think we actually beat the ambulance there at the time, wow. which is not common in our. Yeah, or is common. We would actually beat the ambulance a lot of times to the rural areas. Oh yeah, if, yeah, because they go so far. Yeah. So. Um, so would you end up? Did you end up like uh, totally intubating him and? No, we, uh, I'm trying to remember what exactly we did, because he was a little feisty, but we ended up transporting him to the trauma center. Um, I believe we had him handcuffed, too, something like that. I remember thinking, man, this, they're not going to be happy about this when we show up. <laughs> like, he needs to go, you know, we got to take proper care. Yeah. Of him. So, um, at, uh, one of my first true crikes. Yeah. With them, man. So, um. I'd uh, done one before in the hospital on a motorcycle wreck, but this one, and I love setting up these stories, right? Like how these just turn out crazy. Yeah. So I go work up at another base and we're just weathered in all day. Like it's thunderstorms coming and going. So we don't fly in that stuff, man. But the tones go off. They still dispatch us. We look at weather and we turn it down. Yeah. So we've been doing this. Starting in the afternoon for sure, we turned out like seven flights already. Wow! So now I'm, now I'm just sleeping and some more tones come in, and uh, finally the nurse on just like finally like four a.m. in the morning, the nurse is knocking on my door. Hey man, and this base is next to a hospital, a little rural hospital, and um, it's like hey the hospital called. They need some help. And I'm I'm groggy. I've been up and down all night for absolutely no reason. <laughs> Should have just stayed in bed the whole time. But um, just, you know, that, that mid-morning wake-up processing. And uh, we, um, he said, they said something about Nairway or something like that. And I, I'm still, like, trying to wake up and process. And so we grab our bag and stuff, and we walk over. And we walk into this ER, man. We turn the corner, and this guy is on the bed. And they got him, uh, like, Simi Fowler, partially sitting up. Yeah. And dude, his tongue looks like a balloon out of his mouth. What? Just sticking up, like it looked like a small ball. Dude, like, like a, I'm trying, like a little cabbage ball. You play cabbage ball with or something? Wow. And I mean, in full respiratory distress of like just animal instinct to breathe. And um, I, I could tell. I was like, man, he's having some kind of reaction. It sounds like y'all give him an epi. And I know, like, give him some fucking epi. <laughs> you probably need something now. <laughs> and so. I'm still, still waking up at this point. I haven't walked over there, and um, I remember I walked around to the head and started just took a bag on mask, started managing his airway, making sure he's getting full on oxygen and breathing. And uh, my partner, um, they had actually had a pertrach, which is a, a big needle type crank system, sitting out. They had pulled it out in anticipation of what was going on, and. Uh, I ended up trying to use the pertrach, so I you know, find my landmarks. Yep. And remind you know, remind it, me, I guess, but it's between the it's your it's, yeah, it's that, that little spot. 
hard hard section, soft section, right in the middle, jam it. And um, it wouldn't go in, dude. When I tell you, like, you, uh, I'm 6'2", 220 pounds, <laughs> and I feel Just like I'm about to crush around, this way. dude's airway, <laughs> trying to push this thing in there. Like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, it's not covered, like, I've taken everything off. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. that's the needle, that's the beveled edge, like, this should be cutting into this dude's airway and I finally just tossed it and took the scalpel man made made first cut made a sight cut put the bougie in and I remember going damn that was easy and like just smooth and um, uh, we got the we got the tube in and started managing his airway and uh, best part about this was the other crew the new crew because yeah. the crew changed at 5 this yep. was like 4.35 in the morning when this is going on <laughs> they're showing up and uh they walk in, like, right after we're done, dude, I'm just putting the bandages on. They're like, what the hell? <laughs> I'm like, I know, right? He needs to go to Jackson, which is like three hours away by ground. And they're going to take him, so see y'all later. I did feel a little bad for, like, about five minutes. Yeah. Uh, uh, crew change. Yeah. It's all good. I love crew change. Um. And then, so that nurse actually that I was working with, uh, him and I had some crazy calls. And matter of fact, after this one I'm about to tell was our third one, I was like, bro, we cannot work together anymore. Like, I, this, <laughs> we just end the shit. <laughs> All the time. What it is about us, like being paired together. <laughs> but um, we, uh, we show up at this other base. Um, getting in doing crew change morning checks um the crew the uh the previous crew just like an hour or so earlier had had gotten a flight request and they ended up topping the aircraft off well this base is one that they bring patients to us a lot because it's a rural area we call them base in the box not next to the hospital so we we might be between the ambulance and their uh, closest facility, but not proper facility. Yeah. So they would bring a lot of ambulances or patients directly to us, and then we would fly them into uh, definitive care. Well, so we're discussing this like we're heavy, man. We can't take. They bring us two hundred pound patient. We're not going to leave. Like we're going to burn some fuel. And um, so we're discussing whether to defuel the plane or not. But sure enough, they drop tones. Hey, they're bringing you a patient. So now, like, we're kind of mad scrambling on. I mean, we just walked in the door. We're like, we didn't yeah. completely finished crew changing. <laughs> and um, then they start telling us the kids. So, like, now we're not as much worried about weight anymore and being able to leave. So now, you know, we're able to focus on, okay, well, what are they bringing us? Yeah. So they ended up bringing us this 10-week-old neonate who was born at 28 weeks. Oh, my god. This gosh. dude should not even be born yet. Wow. And he's alive, Timmy's. I mean, tea tiny thing, dude. Just like I remember holding him in my hand. Um, uh, he was having respiratory distress and kept kind of braiding down on him. Well, they did a good job, man, keeping him agitated, keeping him up. So when they got to us, he looking pretty good. Yeah. So uh, the bird was already running. So I put, the, put his car seat on the stretcher and strapped it down and put him in it. And he's kind of sitting up at this point and not really laying down anymore and discussing where we're gonna go. We were trying to take him into the children's hospital, which is 35, 40 minute flight one way where our closest appropriate care could be about 20 minutes away in another direction. 
and um, so we take off in and, another direction. In so, the opposite direction. so you, okay, so once you've decided to go to Children's, like you fly ten minutes, and and you, now you're committed to that. That's, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so not long after we take off, Steve starts breaking it down again. So man, I get him out, I'm agitating him, and I'm literally just like holding this thing, tiny thing, in one hand, like rubbing him with my thumbs, dude. That's how little he is. Wow. And uh, he. Um, he finally hit like the 60 mark something dude compressions now so yeah doing compressions on it with my little thumb my thumbs man oh my gosh and, dude uh, his heart rate he'd come back up stuff and uh told my partner Kentry I'm like we need a line man he needs a bolus a big bolus you know usually start dumping your your uh, 20 cc boluses to their kilograms and um but he didn't really have a line so just give me the IO so um and we got him ten back week old. Yeah. Neonate. Neonate. Holy cow, dude. And uh, I remember I, I grabbed his leg and it's like the bones are so soft, like he just punches right in. Yeah. And dude, he fucking loved the biggest belch and yell. It started crying. His heart rate's up over like 100 now. He's holding 120. And dude's looking much better. His color's back. Like everything's going on. All I've done is drill his leg. Done some compressions and now I just drilled his leg to start giving him a bolus. I didn't even give him the bolus yet. Yeah. And uh, so he made, his color came back and just, he was upset about what just happened, right? <laughs> and, you uh, stuck me in the leg, you dick. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, you go ahead and Brady down again. I'll poke that other leg too, bro. <laughs> um, but uh we ended up taking him to the closer facility just because he was starting to crash on us. And we t- we'd already turned. But, um, yeah, just crazy days, man. Uh, wow. Like how, how quick things turn. And, yeah, uh, no and, kidding. And, like, I, it's when it, everything's out of the ordinary when you got to be prepared, man. And that's the that's picture you had that you showed me, right? Because you were in the hospital with that new date. No, that was another one. Oh, um, of course yeah, it was. Yeah, that <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I remember her full story. But, uh, yeah, I definitely uh, enjoy that, that job, man. <laughs> be nice to pay a little more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. But it's been, it's been fun because you've had all this experience. And now you and I get to work together again. We've been together for now for another, what, two years? Year, year and a half? Year and a half again. Yeah. Working out, you know, just kind of running another program. And um, really... The next, like, this has been a little different here, but, you know, you you and I got back into rescue and also uh, giving advice and kind of helping other guys get back up to speed because, you know, it's just when we came in here, it was like the, all the equipment was really old, so we updated all the equipment, and now we're doing hoist train again. So what I'd like to ask you is, like, I know you and I coming in here and teaching these guys uh, and these crews, but... What are some of your recommendations you would give to other people? Like equipment, technique, because you have a lot, a lot of good techniques that I like and I enjoy. I'm a very, uh, when it, very systematic person when it comes to being efficient. Like I, it's something I, I can wrap my head around quickly. Yep. And, and all right, these are the steps we need to take to be efficient. And um, no matter really what gear you have, you got to learn your gear. That's the most important thing. Totally. Learn your gear, practice with it. And um, from there, it's it's about developing efficiency and, and being uh, good at the job. And I, I say that, so thinking back now, I remember one of our cases, we have it on tape, 
of going offshore at night for a chest pain from the time of pulling into the rest to the time we're leaving, 13 minutes. Yeah, oh, it was beautiful. Like, just rolling in, yeah. rolling out. And yeah. um, and that is the hoist in. So reading a checklist to make sure the scene is safe. The hoist in, the package is placed in, the hoist out, and leaving. Right. 13 minutes. 13 minutes. Freaking uh, bomb. Knuckles. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I think we were even talking about our fuel status. Part of the yeah. reason we wanted to be quick. Yeah. But, you know, to, to know you can be when you need to be. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then the, as far as like sayings or things like that go, like I, especially training new people yeah, is just, like I said, learning your equipment and making sure everything's what I call dressed straight, connected properly, loaded properly before you make your final connection to be rule number 10. Well, yeah. Rule number 10. <laughs> That's another episode. <laughs> Yeah. No, define dressed. Like, um, you know, you're, you're, uh, cause I like to call it clean. You know, everything's clean. You call it dressed. It, same thing. Kind of along the principle of yep. like you dress your knots and your yep. technical rescue stuff, you know, you got to finish them off, make sure they're dressed properly so they get loaded correctly yep. and all that. And I, I, it's the same thing for me uh, from the connection of my tether to the, to the carabiner and the, maybe a map ring or the other gear that, all of that is in line, loaded correctly, and pulled with a little bit of tension. Yep. And you can look down it and go, that is dressed properly from yep. top to bottom or vice versa. And, um, you know, I'm connected, they're connected, I'm ready, and then, you know, yep. attach my hoist stuck. Or even vice versa as a hoist operator, being able to look down at the RS sitting in the chair before he goes out the door and going, he's holding the hook out in front of him yep. fairly tight. And you can see his connections. Yep. They're dressed properly, going, following it down to his harness before you pick him up and pull him out of the door. I'm totally on board with that. And and for guys that are that do this a long time, do not get complacent. Yeah. All right, this is a dangerous job of what we do. A lot of us make it look easy, and for the most part, you can be easy, but you have to be on top of your game at all times. And this is the stuff that Lenny and I talk about constantly. Like, and I'm all about slowing down. There's no reason to be fast. I mean, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. That's right. So, yeah, dress right, dress. Keep all your stuff dressed. Just neat. Just make sure it's dressed. <laughs> so, and, and we actually deal with a lot of gear here between the, um, the Bowman bag, you know, which is or a pet bag. And, you know, uh, CMC makes one. Um, ARS makes one. It's all, it, basically, it's a bag that wraps up a backboard. And... But you have a lot of straps and you have a, a lot, lot of connections. connections. Lots. And there's connections inside the bag, outside the bag, plus your connections to your hoist. Then if you're adding a tagline, are you adding your I lanyard, Y lanyard, IQI, whatever you're going to connect, just your weak link. Is it to the right? Is it to the front? Is it to the side? Right. Foot? Head? What kind of aircraft are you in? Are you going in left side, right side? Like for us, we're flying on the 139. One of our rules of thumb is patient's head is to your left. So if you're doing a double up, and the reason for that is when you get to the aircraft, now you rotate your patient to come inside the aircraft. Your hoist operator is on the right side of the patient. You're on the, oh, I'm sorry. The hoist operator is on the left side of the patient. Rescuer's on the right side of the patient. You're working together to bring them in the aircraft. In a 412 or a Huey, it's opposite because of the way the hoist operator and rescueman sit. Right. Yeah, so... There are things like that that people don't know until you start hoisting or you start practicing. And these are the things that, that you and I have done many times. 
Um, one of the other ones, as far as training goes, we had a dual hoist on the 139. It was a Goodrich, and it's front and back or forward and aft. Depending on the hoist will depend on how you're coming past the step. So these were little things that you and I had figured out, you know, how to come up between the spawns and where's your gear? Can you have it on your back or do you have it hanging on the other side of the patient? So. Yeah, both of us spent some time in different airframes, but man, we have logged some hours. Yes, we have. And some hoist. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And the, the greatest part was, um, and I actually talked to Chris Galeen about this, is that, you know, we've had, and uh, Eugene Reynolds is we had an opportunity to train, 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 and and really for us in the back it was it was great because we were allowed to try different maneuvers and methods to see what worked best. And it was, and I think that was one of the other good thing about what we had going on down there. It wasn't. We we're very fortunate yeah, yeah. to have um, a good. lot of training time, ten hours yeah. per pilot set. So yeah. For us as a crew with 20 hours in a two-week period yeah. of flight time. Right. And it was 10. 10 for the day guys and 10 for the night guys. So and, yeah. And the, like, and I'll say our policies were rigid, but they were not so rigid that we couldn't think outside the box. And uh, I, I don't want to say try something new, but expand on what we already had. Mm. And that's where like Coming up on the rear or the aft hoist, you could have your back to the aircraft versus the front hoist, you could have your front to the aircraft or vice versa. You know, it was, um, there was a lot of those little tri- tips and tricks that we ended up learning throughout. So, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, and that's <clears throat> it's really the only way to become proficient and efficient or and efficient, but um, is uh, practice, man, however you yeah. can practice it getting that muscle memory down this is how it yeah. feels that way when something seems off you can adjust to it quickly yeah make sure it's not something fatal right right well the bonus uh one of another bonus about you specifically like or you and i together you're a rescueman on the ground on the hook and you're a hoist operator right. so you know both roles and you know what to expect on both sides which helps so when you and i are hoisting together if i'm hoisting you know i as soon as you come to the cabin, you're expecting me to do certain things before you do the next step. Vice versa, you know, I'm going in. One of the other fortunate things we had that um, some of the other training areas I've done are, and, and stuff since the golf was, uh, I call it the NVGs. It's like NVGs to pilots, or what NVGs are for pilots to us, but is wireless ICS. Totally. And we didn't, as an RS, it didn't even bother me that it was cumbersome to actually talk into the aircraft. But the mere fact that I could hear the aircraft the entire time, what was going on, that when they pull up into the rest and we're telling them we're ready for extraction, when you hold your thumb up and you hear, hey, I'm ready for pickup, come from the aircraft in your headset, like yeah. that's what helps make things efficient too. Like, I mean, my head's down, you know, maybe, and you can hear yeah. the voice operator you know tell you something he he knows he he, he you can hear him right and um if i highly advise that for to- any uh, program is research absolutely. find a good one that'll work with your system so the the couple of wireless ics yeah, and the couple that we know that we've worked with is axness with the polycom system or is it called polycom now i don't think that means no, axness so the axness system 
totally wireless ICS system. It's it's pretty nice. And then we were also using the TrueLink system, Absolutely. which was another good one. And I recently just tried one. I wish I could remember the name. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just coming to my coming to a blank. But they use it for ground taxi guys. So you have somebody in the cockpit, and then your ground ta- it's for the big 737s and whatnot. So they can have wireless communications with the guys in it. And so I was trying that one. And the bottom line is having a wireless ICS system. So as in as a hoist operator, if I'm looking at Lenny down on the ground and I have a question like, Lenny, do you need the map ring? And I see your head shake no <laughs> or you give me a you know a signal that says no, then okay, right. I'm good to go. If if um you know, if something, if I have a question about something else, hey, is this going to be longer than 10 minutes? And I give it a thumbs up, like, you, like we, you can communicate with me via hand signals based on the question that I ask you. Right. That is awesome. That was one of the, uh, I won't say coolest, but it just, it was a tool we had that I feel made a huge difference in how huge. well our operation, how well hoist operations went for us. Yeah. Because you could actually, here was another example, which is to me worth its weight in gold right here is you're on the hoist hook. I'm lowering you down. Something happens. And I, and I tell you, hey, dude, get off the hook. Mm. Like, I don't have to give you hand signals. You, you're not looking at me like, what the heck's going on? I'm telling you, as we're descending with the aircraft, get off the hook. You know, it's or as we're coming in. Hey, hey dude, don't you down. Get off. Yeah. Or, um, or we got to pick you up. Hey, dude, we, we got to go. Right. I got to pick you up. Yeah, we're running um, out of fuel. And then the majority of the systems too is use. So if you have more than one wireless receiver, usually those are community. You can talk amongst those without interrupting the Flight. the cabin. Right. And uh, you know, you usually have to activate a button to punch into the cabin and have that conversation. So as RS is in the back in an ALS environment, you and I would come up and we were able to have a discussion over patient care. Yeah. What I need and, and, and going on without affecting the aircraft and the <laughs> SO and the pilots in the front. And man, it was, it's game changer. If you've Dude, it totally it. is. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. So, dude, awesome. That was quick. That was good. Any other words of wisdom you'd like to pass on to anybody else that's coming up through the ranks? I'm sure I'll think about it afterwards. <laughs> Should have wrote some down beforehand. But, uh, it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. Dude, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you sharing all this stuff with me. Anytime, brother. Dude, awesome. Up top. Love you, man. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh, yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>